This is the Vance Crow Podcast. Morgan Freed, welcome to the podcast. Are we live? I'm glad oh, you're here, man. Welcome. You. Nice, to, nice to be here. So thank you for uh, coming over in a yeah. snowy Missouri um, day. Read that the truth. You were out sledding with your kids? Yep. That's, uh, that's what I do, man. I'm a stay-at-home, work-from-home dad, so I get a lot of time with a lot of a lot of kid activity. Yesterday, my uh, me and my little son, and then my middle son, we played a serious game of Pokemon or uh, uh, what is it? Pokemon Monopoly, and those boys take it serious. Is are the rules of Pokemon no, they're the Monopoly same, the same? Same rules, except all the the pieces are uh, Pokemon like land and the the little. It's the same as regular Monopoly, but. When you're eight and ten, dude, it's the coolest thing on the do planet. Do they play all the way to the the bloody bloody? We do. <laughs> we did. My, my littlest usually wins, but he would not quit till he was down to the last dollar. He's mortgaging all his stuff. Literally, he had like three dollars left, and Knox is like, "I won." And he's like, "My my littlest Beckham goes, dude, I got three bucks. Good for him. We can, we can keep going. Round. I just need to hit free just parking. Two hundred. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, that's that's one of the best things about having a kid that does that. Yep. It's way better. Yep. Than the little monster that, uh, yeah. that as soon as they start. Well, they got to do math, too. So yeah. and then there's interest, you know, we get crazy. So you are here because um, a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. I had a podcast party, which is a bunch of the guests of the podcast that live in the St. Louis area came and just, we kind of intermixed. We had a great right. time. Coach was there. Right. And uh, he calls me over um, and I go over to him and he goes, uh, Vance, I got a, <laughs> I got a guest recommendation for you. <laughs> Anything and, he says, you better listen, man. And, and like, yeah, he did it in like a low, deep voice right. and he's a giant, he right? He is giant. And, uh, and so I'm like, who's that? And he goes, you ought to have Morgan on. <laughs> right. And so I was That's like, my all dude, right, man. What, what, what is he an expert in? And he goes, he's an expert in bullshit. <laughs> but then he stopped me and he said, Morgan has been through the most crazy things in his life. He's like, you wouldn't even believe it. He's a black belt in jujitsu. Right. And he has climbed to the top of every organization that he ever uh, gets around and involved with. It's true. And he was like, you're going to have a good conversation with him. So you show up to my house and you're all bandaged up. up. What's going on, man? That just happened. That happened. um, You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. You know, I'd like to think I'm 23 problem is I'm about 41 and uh when you train with some of these young cats you know they're, they're out for blood which is normal so I try to keep up and this happened from our good friend Orlando Sanders oh I will shout out he's in Vegas trying out nice. he's trying out to make it in the big leagues and uh he just shot for a take he was my and, first coach he was, yeah, my, he's he was the first one that ever started training me never seen a guy with a bigger smile and just a happier human yeah. being except for, there was a guy who you never met who you would have loved his name was Peter Pan that was his nickname wonderful human he passed but orlando was a close second so just good people but he shot for a takedown i sprawled it hurts you suck it up you tape how, it up how keep long going. has it been bandaged uh, about two months two months two months so, still training i'll be there tonight you know so do what you do wow so how did you uh get into jujitsu well before we even get into that i think that that will be part of my story and that's more like the half and so <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to kind of tell you and i'd like to look at this podcast as i'm going to tell you the story of my life and i believe honestly everybody you meet does have a story everybody you come across will have an amazing story they will have ups and downs and losses and victories and beautiful things and sad things will happen throughout their life so we all have a story 
and we're all kind of proud of our own story. Um, I think the reason Coach probably mentioned you to have me on is I have a very unique story with, of course, a lot of tragedy and a lot of wins and all the things that make a story amazing. Um, so I'll kind of start with... Man, you just set a high bar for yourself because you were just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story that is amazing. Well, it's different. You know, okay. like I said, everybody's story is amazing. So anybody who listens to this podcast, I'd like to preempt my story with you are special and your story is just as amazing as mine. It's different characters in a play, right? So we're all a movie that everybody wants to see. I just happened to be invited today to tell people mine. And for a living, that's what I do is I also collect stories. Now, mine's different than the way you do it. But when I get to that part of my story, you'll kind of understand. So... I was born and raised in Belleville, Illinois, all my life. And the first part of my story will start with my... Dude, you you are definitely a jiu-jitsu guy, <laughs> because I've never had anybody wrestle as hard as you are right now to, to grab control. <laughs> and uh, so, so when you start talking about you telling your story, yeah. is this something you tell a lot? You I have go out and tell it many, many a, times? All, right. For, um, for what? What purpose? Uh, well, my wife and I run a home business, a health and wellness business. Um, and we help people with weight loss and energy. We do DNA testing. Um, she's spoken in front of about 20, 30,000 people about the debt we've paid off. Uh, I've spoken in front of hundreds of people, thousands sometimes, about what we've achieved. So the more you tell a story, the more you become proficient at the story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, can, I can remember telling, and my story's going to be a lot longer than it would be if I just told you my, here's what we do for business story. That's three to 10 minutes based on your time frame. Um, but what you learn to do is you learn to kind of bring things in, take out some of the unnecessary wording, and it becomes a very polished story. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I've got a lot of experience kind of talking to people, sharing my story. And I think what makes it special is I'm very open. You're going to get honest. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if there comes a point in my story where I cry. That's normal. It's, it happens out of the blue sometimes. But that's because... When you see me and you get to sit with me, you see this is a real person who's done some real things, and it's only real because you can see that he cares about where he is now and what he's doing. So, so where do, where do you generally begin your story? So, where is this? Well, like I said, normally based on a person, I don't give them all this other stuff that I'm going to give you. This is a podcast. I'm going to give you some crazy stuff that, that will tell you where I got. Normally, it's a three-minute kind of story. Hey, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? Oh, this is what I do. I help people with this. Is that something you're interested in? So that's kind of the quick story. Yeah. You know, you give them that part. You grab an elevator grab pitch. An, yeah. Right. It's an, exactly. It's exactly. It is an elevator pitch. Hey, this is what I do. Would you like to try it? No? Cool. We'll be friends anyways. That's fine. Um, and then from there, your relationship grows. Have and you always you. been good at the at the elevator pitch? Like even before you had your yeah, own yeah. story, your, um, your, your, your I've always, journey? I've always been good at just really connecting with people right away, making best friends kind of within the first five, 10 minutes. Um, me personally, the later on in the relationship, that's where I struggle because I'm kind of, I'm a go, 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 go. 10 minutes, dude. I'm your best friend. Now I've made a new best friend. Oh, I've made a new best friend. So it's very... And people have this sensation if if you, if you the reason that they're really positive about you is because you showered them with attention yeah. and then you take it away. Some this people is, don't like is, it. Yes. I yeah. mean, because sometimes people no, no. never get uh, yeah, they do, for sure. attention to them. I, I've never had that backlash happen, 
because I think people just kind of understand that Morgan's somewhat of never, a psychopath. Not when, you were, not when you were dating any girls. There was never a, there was <laughs> never a girl you dated that said, "God, I I miss that attention that Morgan." Well, if they me. did, they didn't tell me. I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know how they feel about it now. I'm I'm hoping they all like me. I'm still friends with a lot of my exes, so I believe. Hopefully, that. they're still that like that dude's sure. a good dude. Yeah, maybe one or two, of course, weren't, but um, <laughs> so I'll start in high school. I'll start in high school just because it's. That's where my story kind of starts. And this, you'll have a whole bunch of questions about where it goes just from this little part. Um, in my sophomore year of high school, I went to an all-white high school in Freeburg. Apparently, you cannot smoke pot on campus. I did not know this. Um, so me and a friend did. And we got caught. My father at the time, who was an inner-city school teacher in East St. Louis and Lincoln, uh, taught there for 30 years, entirely all black, retired as a principal from uh, Washington Park, took me out of school before they could expel me and I am the first kid to ever go or graduate from an entirely all black high school in East St. Louis so imagine a street you've got Lincoln senior high school on one side and La Ghetto literally on the other side now before you start asking me questions about that and I'll answer all kinds of them I've been going there my whole life Um, I was in their jazz band when I was a little kid I actually played piano violin and saxophone Um, so I've been there but I've never been there right you know my father would bring me as a young kid so i knew yeah knew you it. were there but yeah at the but end i wasn't of the day, you went home yeah so i remember my and i'll tell you my very first day so i got kicked out of freeburg <clears throat> father said hey we're going to lincoln i was terrified i will not lie you know it's very you see the movies boys in the hood right this is where i'm going were you a were you a big dude like you are no now? no i didn't like get for, so for people that are listening you are a remarkably in shape person, right. and on top of that, it's not just like, oh, you're a good runner. Right. You've got definition, you're a big guy, and right. you're, you're hardcore jujitsu. No, I was just a normal, average uh, 15 year old, 16, 16 at the time year old kid, little skinny, nothing. It wasn't into fitness weights? Yet. Did not lift weights. Holy um, Didn't geez. really play sports. And you were a kid that was getting kicked I was in the up band. for smoking pot. I was in the band. That's I, played, right. I was in the jazz band. So the, like, I was the band nerd. The jazz band nerd that was willing right. to smoke pot on campus right. is about to go to the all A little bit of a rebel also. Like, okay. I was still friends with everybody. I partied my brains off, but played in the band. Okay. Um, so all right. So you weren't... This wasn't innocent, Morgan. Was, uh, no, no, Morgan was not innocent. Okay. Morgan was probably pretty Your dad awful. probably knew that you needed some... I started drinking at like six, 15, 16, heavily drinking. Okay. Like, I did all the drugs, man. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this was just finally got caught, you know. So, dad says, we're done. You're going to Lincoln with me. I remember not wanting to go, terrified. I thought for sure I would probably be murdered. So, we might ride with my dad to school. It's the very first day of school. This would be my beginning of junior year, maybe. What year would this have been? I graduated high school in 97, so 95, okay. something like that. The school shut down in 98. Um, so you, you'll have to understand what an inner city school is like. They're very run down. Um, they don't have much money. Think uh, toilet paper has to be chained, chained up, locked up to the toilet paper dispenser because kids will steal the toilet paper. They're that poor. Um, toilet seats, everything had to be locked up. They will steal everything. Not because they're thieves, because when you're that poor, a roll of toilet paper is, that's a lot of money when you have nothing. Um, <clears throat> so I went there. And uh, of course, a lot of the doors are locked up with chains, which is crazy because it's a school. God forbid there's a fire, but hey, you can't let people come in off the streets because they would. Um, 
we get out of the car and I'm, I'm, I mean, sweating bullets, man. This is for real. I'm doing this. Once again, only white kid. I, I not, not any other white kids. It wasn't a mixed school. There weren't a Mexican or whatever. Did you know there. very many black people before? You um, a few for sure. I mean, I was never, uh, Freeburg was predominantly white and I was born and raised in Belleville. So I definitely had black friends, but I wasn't like part of the culture. And so when you say like, you're worried about this, like how worried are you? You're, you're like a couple nights before you're, really- I rolled up a thing of pennies and duct tape. Cause I figured I was going to have, and I, I think I might've brought a pocket knife. I figured I was going to fight to the death that day. I'm going to die. That's really what I thought. I don't think I told my father that ever, but I definitely had rolled up pennies and I'm like, if I'm going out, I'm going out fighting. Um, so we get there and out walks this, uh, high school kid. He's about six, seven, 330 pounds, huge. You, I mean, hands, the size of basketballs, massive man comes up right to my dad. Oh, and I, I won't do his accent right. He goes, you've bought your son. Cause my dad had told everybody I was coming. Um, is this Morgan? Yeah, this is Morgan. What up, man? And I'm like, Hey, how are you? He goes, your name's Pookie. I go, well, what's your name? He goes, people call me big Ed. And I go, well, it's nice to meet you, big Ed. And big Ed is, was, and turned into be such an amazing man I loved him in high school. He would bring down these things called the golden turntables, and he could beatbox. Nicest man you'll ever meet. Scariest human besides, I mean, high school. Sick. He's still a huge dude. I still talk to him every once in a while on Facebook. He lives in New York. Um, but his name was Big Ed. And he was a teacher at the time? High school student. He was a student? He was a student. 3.30, minimally. Wow. Dude, massive. Heart of gold. Wow. Big teddy bear. Who may kill you? I mean, nobody messed with Big Ed. He was nice. He was goofy. Nobody messed with Big Ed. And so then how was the rest of your experience? So I'll tell you a couple things that uh, people always ask me about the difference between a regular school and an inner city school. Um, When I went to Freeburg, the school, and I I don't want to put anybody in a box because I don't like to do that. A lot of the teachers were there because it was easy and they're there to get paid and there's nothing wrong with that right um a school is easy it's the kids show up most of them are respectful they do their work they come from at least somewhat better families usually dad's around maybe he's not but at least they're they're respectful um so the teachers there are there a one they love teaching great b they love they love the children that's awesome but there are for sure some 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 there who are just getting paid Great. Nothing wrong with that. The difference between an all-white school and an all-black school where I went was I've never met teachers who cared more about their students and their students' well-being than I have at any other school in my life. Those teachers were there because they didn't have to be there. I mean, you got to think a teacher gets paid what a teacher gets paid. Why would you pick that school? They were there because they cared so deeply about changing the lives of some of those students, turning some of those students into a path of good and maybe not a path of bad and literally amazing life-changing teachers. So that's the difference. So you felt this, you walk into the school and it's, it's almost, it's hard to say, imagine love being something you could see. Almost every one of those teachers at Lincoln had that. And that's the difference, which is mind-boggling crazy but 100 percent true 
Um, and I can tell you now, some of those teachers, it's a little crazy. It's inner city school. My dad can tell you some stories. He's walked in on teachers having guns drawn on each other. Um, I mean, it's inner city. You're going to get what you get. Um, but I remember almost every one of my teachers at Lincoln. I loved them. I can tell we had, I took a pottery class. I made, it was an amazing experience. Now, was that because your dad was the principal? No, he was the teacher at the time. But I think it's because they're just kids. I think a lot of times we see what we see and we forget it's usually not the kids causing the problems. Because even in East St. Louis at the time when I went there, it wasn't the kids who were the issue. It's the ones who had either dropped out and still lived in the ghetto or the parents who were pretty young still living in the ghetto. That was the issue. And that's a broader topic where you talk about why are they still there? Well, you know, there's no place to work. There's no buses. I mean, that's a that's a different topic for a different day. Well, but, I, uh, it's interesting because I have uh, experience, but not in the same way that you do with inner city kids from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So I became uh, the director of this like teen program, a, a summer right. camp for kids. And they would come out and you'd have them for 11 days and then you're caring for them the whole day and then right. overnight. So they're, they're right. there for 11 days. And it was a really interesting experience for me uh, for a lot of reasons. And a lot of the ones that you're describing here, like I remember before they showed up being nervous that somehow mm-hmm. these kids were going to be like mean or like right. wild. You know, yeah. And, and <laughs> I, like that was a really good experience right. for this kid that grew up in central Illinois and then went to school at Marquette. Like now all of a sudden I'm confronted. My, my biases are confronted and now right. you're like, okay, now I'm the counselor of some kids. That said, some of those kids <laughs> had what I figured out was the the dial that is emotion, right? Yeah. Like like um, happiness, mm-hmm. excitement, frustration, jealousy, anger, whatever that right. is, and all of the gradations in between those. Like I was just able to articulate a whole bunch of different emotions that a person can have. One of the things that I noticed that with the kids that I was with is they didn't have a lot of language between I'm right. happy or I'm I'm frustrated or I'm right. angry. And right. so a lot more conflict broke out in those situations than what I was used yeah, to. Yeah, it has to do with showing, you know, you can't show weakness. Um, you know, as much as I talk about love and how great of experience it was, it wasn't like it was there was a lot of what you kind of mentioned. You know, it's still the ghetto. So at once school closes, a lot of those kids run wild. I've had, I remember, I mean, the truth is at the school, we had a guy get murdered for his shoes. They lit him on fire. I mean, that's, that was the other side of the coin. You know, the coin I'm talking about is I was there during the day. I got to experience some amazing things. I did not go there at night and live in the ghetto with them because that's a different coin where you can be a great, I guarantee Big Ed, let's go back, wonderful man at school, human being, caring. I guarantee at night, Big Ed couldn't be Mr. Nice Guy and love everybody. Big Big Ed had to protect which, what was his, and there was a different side of Big Ed that I never got to see. Even though I've talked to Ed, I know he had another side. Like, we've talked about some things that are crazy, but luckily I never had to see it because I wasn't in the, yeah, and, in the evening time. And, and right? I think that's one of those things that uh, it's really interesting that you have that insight as a kid that was in high school. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I realized wait a second, the kids that I go to high school with that I know really mm-hmm. well in my mind because we play football together or right. we you know, see each other at parties, they go home to a different yeah. existence at night than yep. I do. You know, Real different. Even at Lincoln back when I went, which was you know, t- 20 years ago, most of the kids didn't have fathers. 
Um, you never talked about their mothers. I was always a no a no go. So we had a thing we called we called it joning, meaning I would make fun of you. You could make fun of me. I'm good at it. My dad was good at it. Uh, one of the kid, one of my friends would call me Ku Klux Klan dropout. I call him Big Musty. Like it was just it was what you do. <laughs> but the one thing you didn't do was talk about their moms or their grandmas because that's who their stable person was in their life. Um, so there was there's certain things that weren't just you just didn't want to push that button. Not saying they would do everything, but you know. Don't push the red button. Right. So just don't push it, man. You'll be all right. Um, so Lincoln, I can, you know, I had some great teachers. Uh, I took a girl to prom. Her name was Cornisha. Uh, Cornisha was super ghetto, but I, I remember she was awesome. Um, and those of you who are seeing this, I'll have to demonstrate. She had nails that went about this long extra. So she had the whole get up. And uh, that was my, my little high school experience. So. And so you left high school and you were going on to college. You were going to so trades. So I went do? after high school. I graduated in 97. I had a full scholarship for saxophone um, to BAC, which is now SWIC, which is a community college. Were you a nerd? No, no. I was, uh, I mean, I was a party animal probably. I mean, I didn't know many kids in the band that were yeah, like Yeah, I was probably cool. the one cool kid in the band who drank all the time and smoked all the time and got high all the time so I, I managed to be I was friends with the jocks to the stoners to the band geeks it just I've always gotten along with everybody um, so I went to college for three years I got two full scholarships and the third one I dropped out because I was drinking and smoking too much and this is where part two of my story will come into play so I did a year of nothing but pretty much honestly drugs at 21, I got my first DUI. Um, I think at that time I could probably drink two bottles of Jack Daniels and, you know, you name, the, you name it, I did it. Um, and I had this epiphany. I was living with two people. One's in prison now. One, we don't talk anymore. What were you doing for work? Uh, we didn't. I didn't work. We, so how did you have money to do anything? Uh, the one guy who's in prison would rob people. And then me and the other guy would just stay in the, we would just get drunk. I didn't need much money. When you drink and you eat bread, you don't really you don't need money. It was that bad. We liked to party. That's there was poor decisions. Yeah. Um, what were you? What did you feel like during the day? Um, I didn't really think about it. You know, it's probably something you can turn off. You don't. You don't look at it. I come from a pretty well, a great family. So the truth is, it was only a year. It's not like I kept doing it. It was like a year of just kind of finding myself. So yeah, like I said, dropped out of a college. Moved in with this girl and these two guys, and I just, that's what we did. We drank. She worked. I didn't work. The other two guys didn't work. I mean, the one guy was a tattoo artist, so we'd make a few bucks, but we would just drink. She wow. would work. She paid the for the house or the, the rent, and we just drank. Um, so it was one night. I just kind of, I don't, I don't think I talked to my father. I don't think I talked to anybody. I just had this moment where I kind of saw the path of my life leading down a place I didn't want to go. You know, I think a lot of us are given moments. I always say we're all given, and this would be just kind of my thoughts, but we're all given moments in life, certain moments that will change the history of what we are, what we become, and where we go. Now, I believe it's God speaking to us, but the problem is we don't always listen. Sometimes he says things and we ignore it, or sometimes we just don't do it. But I believe all of us are given many moments in life that can change the outcome of where you go. Do you turn left? Do you turn right? Do you do it? Um, and I've had quite a few of those. My first big one was one day, 
I just kind of looked at myself in the mirror and I don't even mean a mirror. <laughs> Literally, I just mean, I just look, I just looked. And I said to myself, if I keep doing this, the path of my life is not going to end where it needs to go. It will be prison or jail because this, there is no other outcome at this point. Um, so I remember I told the two guys I was with, I said, I'm joining the military. I, they didn't like it. I do remember that they were upset. Um, misery likes company, I guess. Um, so I literally went into the Navy recruiter. How hard did they push against it? Pretty hard. Um, I do remember they one time slipped acid into my chicken <laughs> because they didn't want me. I mean, that's they what dosed we did. you to, yeah, to they try dosed and me. make it so you yeah. couldn't. I get smile in. about it like it's funny. It's not funny. Hilarious at the time. We were awful to each other. Yeah, like awful to each other. I mean, other. I, I could see that. But then yeah. you look at the. I mean, that's what it. That's the mind of right. a twenty-something. Right. Yeah, that's a mind. So of a um, I went and saw the Navy recruiter. He was a chief, and I said, "Well, actually, I saw the Marines first. And I said, "Hey, I need to get out of here." And Marine goes, well, blah, blah. You know, he said what he said. I said, well, I got a DUI. And he goes, well, you can't leave for six months. We'll have to get a waiver. We're going to have to, you know, make sure it's allowed. And I said, I don't have six months. I go, I need to go. And uh, he goes, let's go see the Navy guy. The Navy guy, who was a chief, he goes, you want to join the Navy? I go, yeah, I got a DUI. He goes, and I don't mean it because he goes, who gives a shit? You want to leave tomorrow? I go, no, I need 30 days. <laughs> um, he said, come back in 30 days because I had to get clean. So, Went back, sobered up, didn't do any drugs, came back, day 31, left the next day. That was my first step in what I call really the point of changing my life for the better. What what triggered the moment of reflection? You know, people have asked that, but I, I can't give a definite answer. I mean, I can tell you God spoke to me. Um, I can tell you I spoke to myself. I can tell you I looked at my life and who my parents were and the, the upbringing I had. But the truth is, I don't know. The only thing I can probably assume it was God's voice saying, somehow I heard it that day and I took it and I ran with it. When I look at the one of the major pivot points in my life, it's funny because um, I've never thought of it this way until you brought this story up. But I was living in Northern California mm -hmm. and I got to have this like totally bohemian lifestyle right. because... I had been in the Peace Corps right. and I got sick and had to come home early. So my buddy who I'd bought a house with and renovated and right. sold, he's a good business guy. He and I hook up and he has just bought an old wooden yacht that had a oh, fire wow. on it. So we decide we're going to take that thing from San Francisco up to this little town called Mendocino on the coast. It's literally paradise. It's, yeah. it's on the cliffs. There's redwoods everywhere. And I am... Um, end up working at this community public radio station as right. my buddy is working on the ship and on nights and weekends I'd help him out a couple the of my wooden, friends the wooden there. craft right yeah yeah right. <laughs> it was this old like That's wooden cool, ship and so we're like steaming beams and right. sanding things <laughs> runs on steam power I got it Cole right. it was it was it was so much fun but then I ended up like diving I had never been around weed before right and now I'm in California right and it is well in advance it's it's right as legalization starts happening yeah. so they're allowed to grow it legally so I find myself living this life where I'm like, okay, well, I could just hang out and do this. You I've can. got a car that works. I've got an apartment. I, and I got a see, bag of weed. Yeah, I don't like, need much. What do I need? Right. right. And uh, I started having these like um, dreams and and mm -hmm. and conversations with my father, who's alive. Right. That was not but having this conversation with me. Right. Huh. And so I end up going and telling my good buddy Court, the guy that had right. bought the ship, and he was like, oh. 
well, well, why don't, why don't you call him and talk right. to your dad? Like, clearly you need to do this because right. I was sitting there being like, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I don't know what right. to do. And the only thing I really care about is what will my dad think right. of what I'm doing with my life. Right. And I think that parallels with oh, God, sure. right? Like that, that the, the father, right? Well, they say, right. And so I have this conversation with my dad that in my head that there is nothing I could do that uh, would ever please him. So why right. even try? What, why even begin if I can't possibly do that? So I tell my buddy Court this and he goes, I think you should call your dad and uh, tell him this. And I yeah. said, I'd rather put a gun in my mouth <laughs> than call my dad and, and tell him, him that, that I'm not doing what I what 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 you what is my life supposed to be. Right. And so he hands me his cell phone. He's like, I think yeah. that means you really need to call him. And I did. And I found out that this conversation that I'd been having with my dad in my head mm-hmm. about what he wanted me to be or what he thought right. I should be. He wasn't having it. He wasn't thinking about right. that. He's just like, oh, I just want you to be happy. Right. But that's one of those voices that yeah. that is I, I ended up throwing the weed into yep. the ocean, uh, you know, very ceremonial moments. Exactly. Defining moments. Came know? and took the GRE and yep. went in, went to grad school, moved yep. to the East Coast. And so for you, yeah, life. that's that's a defining moment in your life. And like you said, you can call it God intervention or just good old fashioned willpower on your part. There was a moment where you said you took whatever it was and you changed the course of your life. Because think about going back in time. Go back to that moment and don't throw that bag of weed away. Right? Oh, yeah. Don't call your father. Your life is not where it is now. That's exactly right. It's just, those are defining moments, man. And those are so powerful and so many people miss them. But the only reason you get them is because something clicks that there's something. a greater purpose, that right. there's something that you should be doing yep. that you're not doing. And I mean, I think this has happened to me many, many yeah. times in life. I think it's okay for it to happen over and oh, over for and sure. over and over again. I think, I think truth is, we're all destined for greatness. Everybody is destined for, you know, we are promised greatness. We are promised this, but every person... When you say we're promised this, what do you mean? Well, the Bible will say, by God, we're promised you know, this wonderful life. And the truth is you are, but you got to work for it. You know, I like to say everyone's destiny can be whatever they want it to be, but it's going to require turning some things off, changing some things. Maybe the friendships you keep have to change. There's so many cogs and factors that have to become and change in your life to get to where you're supposed to go. And everybody has a different path to get there. Some of us drive it. Some of it takes take it by train. Some of it, some of it's over bumpy mountain terrain. But kind of like what you're doing here is you saw a purpose. You said, you know what? This is something I want. This is something I'm going to do. And no one will stop me. And I'm going to do it. And that's perseverance. That's believing in yourself and realizing that you can do anything you want to do with work. So, so this your your perseverance and kind of the inspiration thing you have I believe overcome something that is really difficult to do which is you decided I want to get in shape. I don't know mm-hmm. when you did it, but you haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. Which I think is is the is the really notable thing cuz I know a right. lot of people that would say Oh, when I was your age, like the other day, yeah. we had a conversation on Twitter with some Don't people. Don't show me the picture of your high school yearbook. Yeah, yeah I'm right. Not impressed. And they were like, "Oh, when I was your age, I could bench this." And I'm glad to know, as an old guy right. that was just kind of sharing it. But like, also, like, what are you doing today? Right. And you're doing something today, but you've done it for a really long time. So has it? Did you figure out what works and then so, just hit that <laughs> thing the whole time? So, 
Um, in 2002, I was stationed in, in D.C., um, and I got hit in the head with a cinder block. What? Um, so I had my head smashed in. Um, I was in a coma for a few days. I can show you. Your viewers won't be able to see a picture, but I can show it to you if you like. Um, yeah, yeah, pull it up because okay. I can throw it on yeah, the video. Yeah, throw it. I'll send it. I'll let you see it here. So this is the start of another part of change, my wife always will say. Albums. Sorry, I'm walking you. You have to talk it, so. other other. You have to talk about something other than the photos for people that aren't watching. Yeah. Well, I'm. I, <laughs> it's hard to do multiple things. My so brain you, doesn't work. You like got. That. You had a cinder block. Why? Like, where were you at um, that that could happen? So here, I'll tell you the story. Find it. It's in um, favorites. So okay. if you go through my phone and favorites. So in 2002, I was in the Navy. Um, I was leaving a club. And a group of men snuck up, that's it right there, snuck up behind me, and now I don't remember anything. Um, so I'm telling you based on what another guy there was with me. <laughs> snuck up behind me, pulled my shoulder, and then hit me with a cinder block. So it wasn't so much a cinder block, but imagine a building that's been torn down and there's just huge chunks of rubble. Uh-huh. Smashed me in the skull. Oh my God. Where were you that you would be uh, around people that would do this? I was in Maryland. So, Washington, D.C., Maryland. Where in Maryland? Maryland's a big uh, state. The club was called. Was okay, you were at a club. Big, big club or something. I don't okay. know. It was $10 all you could drink one of those clubs. Okay, so you were uh, not necessarily. Well, just as I joined the Navy, the... didn't mean I quit drinking. Okay. Right? I, I kept drinking. Okay. I just didn't do any other drugs. Hey, well, I'll fill them. So, uh, so you were in, a, in, a, in an area that. That was not completely unprecedented, right. but it still looks you like know, you weren't expecting any, it. Any of your viewers or listeners have been to D.C. or Maryland, look, it's, it's not. It's got some, been, it's got some scratchy, I used to some live sketchy there. places, yeah, right? right. So, so I was there, and um, I had, and they were doing that to rob you? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm assuming yes, maybe. Couldn't tell you because I can't remember. Um, but so I got hit in the head. I was in a coma for a few days. Um Woke up in the hospital. The photo is your face covered in That's, blood. Yeah, That's just, I, it's completely covered. I used to carry a camera with me all the time, one of those disposables, because I like to take pictures. Happened to have one on me that night. <laughs> what do you know? They came in handy. Um, so my, I don't know who took the, the, I don't know who took the picture. Maybe my friend, maybe the nurse. Um, but my, my. Uh, oh, it was just in your role of film. In my when role you got of it film. developed. Yeah. Whoa, so, that had to be so shocking. Yeah. If you're like. <laughs> Next one, next, next one. Whoa, right. there well, I am in the emergency so, room. Uh, yeah, so because of that, I had TBI, so I have traumatic brain injury. Um, some of the things I, I uh, struggle with are memory. Um, I have a really sh uh, bad short-term memory loss. I don't sleep, ringing in my ears, night terrors. Um, there's a lot of stuff, that the TBI, so I'm actually a disabled vet because of that. Um, because there's a lot of issues that go on now. Oh, that's right. You were still in yeah, the military. I was still in the military. How long were you in the hospital for? Uh, three days, something like that. And, and they were doing reconstruction on your eye and. Oh yeah. Well, that's right. My eyeball popped out. I actually pushed, I was told I pushed it back in. I don't remember. Um, I'd like, I, my theory is I'm, I'm thankful I've always been a tough badass. Apparently I stuck my old, own eyeball in my head. Wow. Other people would say you're an idiot. You take it how you will. Um, <clears throat> so that happened. Uh, the next thing I remember is being at work. So there's about two weeks that don't my life. Where are they? Um, I where remember people had spoken with you. They think this is the well, exact guy that we know and remember. And well, so after the injury, 
they always say there's a switch, and that switch changes who you are as a human. Um, so, like I said, I don't remember two weeks in between the brick. I remember, I remember leaving the club. The next memory I have is actually being at work with my face swollen and going, how did I get here and why is my face swollen? Um, and then it had to, somebody had to tell me what happened, and I remember... Were you horrified? I mean, because you had to be looking around being like, what am I even doing? You know, here? I wasn't horrified. Like, for me, it was, it's weird. I've never, I've never, I was never horrified. I was never like, what happened? I was like, okay, let's figure this out. Um, that is the day. That Man, that's like Matrix, though. That's kinda, like, that's, that's like I stepped out of reality right. for two Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Minimally. And then and then you pop back in, right? And, in uniform. And the in uniform <laughs> on in my desk. Military. I remember I'm at my desk doing computer work, and I'm just gonna like, oh well, how did I get here, and why am I here? And I don't it's crazy. I mean, I'd had a meltdown. And well, I went to my forever. chief, and I I remember I talked to my chief, and I asked him what's going on. He kind of filled me, and he said you need to go home. And I said okay. So I went home, and then I was then from there it's. You know, you try to piece what happened, but I'm assuming nothing bad happened in those two weeks because I still had all my fingers and toes. Um, but because of that, um, and on this outside of that, you know, I have some issues with being in public. There's some stuff that goes on. I'm, I'm. My wife would say that's the day everything changed for me because of that incident. Is the day that I really 100%. That's when I got into fitness and martial arts. Oh, so people say, what got you into martial arts? It wasn't, it was literally a fear of this ever happening again. So in 2002, after the brick, when my face healed, I immediately found a gym and started working out and training like a psychopath. And that's never stopped. And that probably has to do, and I'm in therapy, I see a doctor, that has to do with everything goes back to this could happen again. And I know it. And I have to prepare to be ready at all times. Now, there are some there that does cause some stuff in my life where I don't like to go out in public and I don't like to go to target with my daughter and I don't like being in crowds. And, you know, this is uh, staggering stuff. for me because I mm -hmm. only know you from right. the gym where you are carefree, Morgan, right. very light. My, very gym is my happy, safe place. Very, it's, this is astounding to me that you're saying you're uncomfortable in crowds in those, in those crowds. Right. So I have TBI and PTSD. Um, but PTSD, you know, it has the traumatic incident that happened has caused, you know, what's funny is people say, what were you like before the brick? And I don't remember. So I know that I said, I like, I like to do this and I like to do that, but I don't remember that Morgan, that Morgan, probably a carefree guy. You I'm still assuming. like the same foods that you used to like? or um, the... It's not so much foods. It's, I think my demeanor changed. I've become so much more serious. I think before the brick, I was probably whoever I was. And I think that brick is, it's imagine like night and day. I mean, this is totally different waking person. up, right? Yeah, this waking is like, up. it's, it's, so uh, I ask a lot of people this, mm -hmm. are you into meditation at all? Um, I, I speak to God, Okay. not, not, not like when I'm by myself, I pray, I uh, pray with my son. I talk to myself. That would be my meditation where I'm like, all right deep breath you're going to do this focus you can go inside this store it's going to be okay so i do meditate i try to take the there's some exercises um that the doctors have me do but i'm still kind of a 
I mean, my wife would say I'm insane, but I've got a ton of weapons in my car and in my house. Like I am ready for war at any time. And it's, it's not something I want to do. It's just something that I have to do. Is that, there's a difference between want and have, right? That, yeah. I have, for my calmness, I have to have that stuff. And why? Because I 100% believe that at any moment, there's, I can, something bad can happen. I got to be prepared. So because of that, that's when I started really, really training for real. Do you view your motivated by fear as an advantage? I mean, I don't know. Um, that, that's uh, I'm, I that's a hell of I'm a... not motivated so much by fear as I'm motivated by. I'm not. Fear is a, a weird word. It's good to have fear. I'm motivated more by. I'm a race car that's always on red. I am literally ready to go at a moment's notice at any time. So that has now because of that. You know, there's a lot of I'm a, I'm kind of like that alert. I mean, if I'm you're alert, on alert, I'm a freak at all out, times, right? That's, that's, you know, uh, imagine imagine pulling the, filling a gun barrel with sticks and pulling that trigger. I'm that bullet just waiting to blast out just in case. Um, so when you said you started going to the gym, you mm-hmm. were learning how to martial arts at this point, or you're just hitting the the weights? Uh, both. So I started training in DC at at a at they had a they had a gym on base, and there was a guy who knew boxing. Didn't really know much. But he knew more than I did. And I just asked him to show me stuff. And he started showing me. Then I got stationed in Italy. And then from there, my fitness got really serious into weight training because I met a really good friend who is, I call him a silverback gorilla. I love him. He's a prison guard in New York. He's a massive man. He took me from what I was and taught me how to work out. And then in 2006, so I was in the Navy from 01 to 06, got out, went to college in Carbondale. And that's where I found my first real, well, I started, well, I once first found my first real coaches. So I started with a bunch of prison guards who were training MMA and they taught, you know, they started, it was all no gi at the time. So they were teaching me, you know, eye pokes, how to, you know, the dirty, dirty stuff, which honestly wow. to my day is my favorite. So when people come and do like, if somebody wants to train with me, I want to teach you the dirty tricks. Like, here's how we throw a headbutt. Here's how we can stick my thumb in your eye now coach mike can do all that stuff too i just love it um so i started with them because their style didn't need to be so much self-defense it needed to be more i'm gonna murder this yeah, i'm about you, to be murdered i better murder go, you first. it's go time yeah um so i started with them and then there was a guy who became my first jujitsu coach who finally started training and then i started training with him and then i mean it was snowball effect i because i was so and the funny thing is I didn't even know about that I had this kind of inside me. I just knew I had to do it. So I just trained and trained and trained two, three times a day as much as I could. And that still goes to this day where I train as, as much as I can because, one, I love it. But, two, underneath that, there is that that stuff that I deal with on a daily basis. And for me, and I'll tell this to anybody out there who has PTSD, Jiu-jitsu was saved my life. And I think coach said the same thing for him. It saved his life. It saved my life. I needed a place to feel safe, but also learn how to really fight to defend myself so I could feel safe outside of the gym. People that have never, like if you're 30 years old and you've never wrestled or tussled Mm -hmm. or rolled with anybody, 
yes, of course you're going to get thrown around, but Mm -hmm. the feeling, the experience of knowing how to control or manipulate another person, I'm not even very good, (laughs) but just that millimeter that you learn from it makes you feel like confidence. Yes. Self-esteem. I love it for kids. You'll walk with your head a little higher. You'll feel a little safer. You know, I can go to target now with my daughter a little bit longer. You know, those are, that's what I got, got out of training. Is it cool that I can do an armbar? Sure. It's great. What do I get out of it? Knowing that I can be more Morgan around my family. So that was my brick incident. Now, when I got done with... So say more about that. You can be more Morgan around your family. What do you mean? Uh, less of that red car on red, let that, uh, that race car on red. Less of that, less of that guy who's paranoid, worried about getting attacked. You know, that's what jujitsu gets. When I come home from a hard day of training, what I feel is mental exhaustion and it's nice to be able to turn my brain off oh i am that's 100 with you there is no form of meditation no. that is cleaner than when you walk out of right. a jiu-jitsu studio and you've just just gone as right. hard as you can go and i think any phys- that any type of activity that's that physical can do that i just happen to f- find fighting as my i mean outlet, i've done you know? I'm, i've been running and i've done lifting for right. several years but i never did anything right. until you did jujitsu yep it's crazy right wrestling's the same thing you know it's drive go charge you have kids are they in jujitsu i do um my both my boys did train with coach mike for a couple of years they're taking time off with kids um you have to be careful you don't want to push them because they'll never do it right? You can't push a kid to do a sport like that. That's that hard. That's right. And I tell parents, look, if you're going to push your kid, you better get on the mat too, to know what it feels like. Um, so you have to be gentle with kids, let them do it. If they want to take some time off, take some time off and then hope they come back, but also realize you are not your kid. It is not. Do I want my kids to eventually come back to jujitsu? I do. I want to train with my boys when they're 18, we can go compete. I will do all those things with them, but this is their life. It's not mine. I can't make them do ju- If my kid wants to do ballet, then by God, we're going to do ballet till his feet fall off. How That's hard was wants. it when they first said, Dad, we don't want to do jujitsu? Um, I was okay with it. My wife is an amazing woman. Her story is incredible. Like she, she would love her story too. It's also powerful. Um, but she is the smartest, most amazing woman I've ever met. And she's she walks me through a lot of things and tells me and teaches me and luckily i've learned this and this is all your male listeners if you understand that your wife is smarter than you and you actually understand it you will have a much better life i mean like (laughs) just facts man the when i began to truly realize how much of a partner my wife Mm -hmm. could be like hey if i actually tell her what i'm concerned Mm -hmm. about instead of just keeping it to myself if i tell her if i lay out the problems she will help walk me yep. through that situation in a level that I, I couldn't do without yep. her. My my wife is rogue scholar smart. So she's a doctor. She has her PhD in biomechanical science. Uh, her story is, I'll give you a quick, before I jump into my part three, um, she was a single mom with three kids and had built a massive business on her own. That's how incredible she is. She is, I always say, whatever my wife says, do it, trust me you'll be better off. Now, sometimes I don't listen to my own yeah, self, sure, but that's, course. I'm yeah, allowed. I'm, yeah. I'm the husband. Uh, but she is, she's, she's, an, she's incredible. Incredible. But I know that. And 
if you know it, you'll have a better life. I learn agree learn with that. the love languages, yeah, read it. a lot of books. Trust me, it's well worth your time to know that stuff. We learned uh, a thing really early on in our marriage called mirroring. Yeah. Are you I don't know that one. So, so this is, it, it sounds really weird, but I'll here's what you get into a, a disagreement, right? Okay. Or you notice that tensions are ratcheting up because somebody's voice gets raised or they right. start talking faster. Right. Um, and so what we do is we say, okay, wait a second. What did you just hear me say? Ooh, that's good. And then she'll say, I heard you say this. Right. And, um, and if she's wrong, right? Like I didn't mean to I say that, mean like that right. then we like can go back and visit that. And yeah. if we ever have to, we can sit down and do an entire thing where it's like, I'm going to speak. And then you repeat you know, back for me. Communication takes a lot of work. You have to want to do it. You have to be willing to do it. You have to read books. You have to learn. You can't just be like, Oh, I'm a great communicator. Well, are you really, are you listening? Or are you waiting to talk? Right. Slow down. Let's, I think you're, I think that's a great and the ability to, to decide for, for a couple to decide we are going to endure having a little bit of conflict now mm-hmm. to, to resolve why is this happening right. and how do we fix it? It saves mountains yes. of fighting in the future. Yep. We started instituting, do you guys do family meeting? Do you do a, like we a do regular? family, we, uh, not so much family meeting, but we do, we do do family like prayer. Okay. So that's kind of our meeting. And, um, my wife and I take turns laying with the the boys. My daughter is 14, so don't lay with her, but she'll, uh, for each one they get. So every night I'll lay with Knox before he goes to bed. And I just, we talk, tell me about your day. So that's our family meeting is just letting them tell you what they did today, how they felt. Good questions to ask your kids are not how was your day at school, but anything make you smile today? Did anything make you sad? Is there anything you know now that you didn't know yesterday? Oh, that's good. So it opens up conversation that they're then willing. So that's what. What's different about that than saying the other way? Um, how's your day at school? Eh, it was fine. That's your answer. Every parent, every person who's a parent will get that answer from their kid. But if you say, is there anything that made you smile? Well, you're going to get a story. Let me tell you, man. Today, I was in lunch with Dylan and he farted so loud and everybody giggled. You that's the moments you want to cherish because you're going to be like, that's funny and it's cool. And your kid told you that. So those are great questions to ask your kids. Yeah, man, that's great. Um, And when you are teaching them to pray, mm -hmm. right, because it's not intuitive necessarily. What are you what are you teaching them should be their relationship with God? Um, You know, it's 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 a hard that's a hard answer is it's I don't really so much teach them to pray. We're very it's more like. What do you want to What do you want to pray, or what do you want to talk about? So a lot of times, Knox will tell me something made him mad, and I'll say, "All right, well, let's pray that tomorrow's not a bad day." Dear God, I always say this with Knox: Dear God, please, please bless mom, dad, grandpa, grandpa, cats, dogs, lizards, and the pet alligator I have under your bed. We don't have any cats or dogs or lizards, or we we have dogs, but whatever. Um, amen. So that's our quick prayer to God. I go, and then I'll say, "Okay, dear God." Please let Knox know that he is loved and he is cared for, that he is special. And if he ever needs to talk about anything, let him know that Morgan is here to listen. Amen. That's a prayer because it's just saying, here I am. If you want to talk, we can. And if you don't, that's okay too. Gentle. You got to be gentle with everybody. Um, But that's a real flow kind of state because it says to the child, you you know, your exact intentions. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as you are being as honest as you can, that yep. child is going to hear you talking yep. with the 
with with the person that you believe you serve, you know, yep. God, and that they get to overhear that wow. conversation. That's exceptional. It's uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, you just got to decide to do it, though. Once again, it's work because decide it's time, it. or it's work because sometimes you'll you're... forget about it. You get busy. There's laundry to be folded. There's lunches to be made. There's all kinds of things in your life that will get in your way. But you have to stop and slow down. You know, they'll say stop, stop and smell the roses, right? That's a great saying. But how about just stop and breathe? Be grateful for what you already have in your life. You know, a lot of times we're, we move so fast, we forget all the wonderful things that we've been given. Um, for me, so after I got out of the military, um, I started running YMCAs. So they hired me as a personal trainer originally. I was going to be a teacher. I have two degrees. I went to college. Um, I got my second DUI in college. Uh, but I got a degree in public relations and another degree in elementary education. So finished college, did that. What Cal- did you think you were going to do with that? Um, public relations, I thought I would do something working in some kind of field where I was either supporting someone, teaching some, kind of being their voice to the world. Um, but I had a real job, military, and I didn't want to go to work. Luckily, I still had money in my GA bill because I did three years of college full ride. So I got my public relations degree in about two years. So you're given four years of free college. So I did two years and I'm done. Well, I'm a rich college student. I was had saved up about $30,000 from the Navy. I was getting paid about $1,500 a month to go to oh college. Oh, my God. That's and so I was much working. more than I was working at the rec kid. center. I was working oh, at, yeah. the bar, at, the, at the rec center and at the bar. So I was rich in Carbondale. And I'm like, well, I'm not going back to work. I'm going to get another degree. So I got a second degree in elementary education because I like children. I like teaching children. I loved it. Um, got out of college. And this is where God, this is funny, you know, this is God's plan, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go put in some applications to be a school teacher. That's what my father did. That's what I'll do. But what is my skill set? Well, for the last seven years, I've been trained in martial arts and lifting weights. I've gotten pretty good at it. I ran the wreck in college. I'll go work at a Y. Thinking, I got to work. Why I look for a job, look for work, because I moved back home. And I'd been gone 11 years, moved back home. Um, <clears throat> so I'm working at the Y looking for a teaching job. Well, I took the YMCA from $15,000 a year to $60,000, $70,000 a year in personal training. So in six-month time, it was actually six months, they went from small potatoes to big potatoes. And uh, people always ask me, how did I do that? And the truth is, I'm passionate. I'm, I care about people, and I want to see them succeed. People saw that in me, so everybody would train with me. So I had all these clients. Um, and then I went to the, I realized... I wasn't getting, you know, I was making minimum, I was getting whatever I got paid as a trainer. Well, I wanted full-time. I wanted benefits. I wanted this. So I went to the boss and said, hey, I want full-time. And he said, well, show me the numbers. So I printed out the budget and said, you made $15,000 last year. In the six months I've been here, you made $60,000. He looked at it and went, all right, full-time. Signed it, signed the sheet, full-time, came in, got the job. Next day where we talked salary. Um then from there, they gave me another YMCA to ran. So now I'm running two YMCAs. Um, very content training jujitsu day practice and night practice. I With mean, who at this point? At this time, it was Mike. Okay. So Mike got recommended to me by my first jujitsu coach. So I came to Mike as a force right blue belt. Um, started training with Mike. We were, I think I was training. So you can defend yourself, but you're yeah. not in the upper ranks. Not in the upper ranks. Um, and I moved here in 2009. So in 2009 is when I met Mike. Met Mike. Um, came to him as a four stripe blue belt. And uh, luckily, since I was working at the Y, I'd get there in the morning, train some clients, work out, 
go to day practice, come back to the Y workout, go to night practice. My brain for my PTSD and all that stuff, very happy. Why? Working out, training. Working, going home, going to bed. At that point, I think at that point I'd quit drinking. I'd quit all every all bad things had stopped um, just because I'd gotten so into fitness. Um, and then I'm training with Mike for, for however long I was, and I'm still there. I'm now 35. So I moved home. I was uh, 31. I had already had about five years of martial arts training now under my belt. Now I've got another five. I'm 35. I think I was probably a three-stripe, four-stripe purple belt around Are you still living with your parents? No, no. So at 35, um, I'd always wanted to get married and have kids. And it just never happened. Never happened for whatever reason. It's just, I'd like to say there is a reason. Um, I, I remember one day at the Y, I surrendered. I gave up. I said, you know what, God? I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids. I'll look into adoption. I want to be a dad. What, what, so you've mentioned this. There's two questions there, mm-hmm. but the first one is you've mentioned like really liking kids and being around kids. Right. I feel like we live in a weird time mm-hmm. where men have to be very careful about saying that. You do. You just have to be rough around them. Rough around kids. Does that make sense? No, not at um, all. I'm, I, I wouldn't. You in can't. In today's climate, I wouldn't touch a child. <laughs> you, you, so I've been, I substitute teach for fun. Um, you can't, there's a way to talk to children and parents without coming off as a creepy person. And I believe it's being a little rough around the edges. If you look at me, you probably, you know, I'm kind of like, ah, look at your kid over there. He's doing all, he can't spell, but he's doing all right. You know, if you can come off like that, you have a, you have a better chance of not getting in trouble. I don't know. That's a very, it's a very weird way to kind of say it, but, um, kids always like me. I like kids. I believe, I mean, I like my own kids more than I like your kids. (laughs) That's just the truth. Um, but I mean, there's certain things you don't do. You don't let them sit in your lamp. You don't, when they go to hug you, you turn sideways. Like there's certain stuff you do, but, um, I I always liked being a mentor. It's always something I enjoyed. Um, so I, at 35, given up. You know, I said, all right, God, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to have kids. It is what it is, man. I'll adopt. I'll look into it. Of course, when you surrender, that's when God was pretty much like, awesome. Let me introduce you to your wife and your three kids. So I met my wife, Jeanette Freed, and she had three children. They were two, four, and eight when I met them. And, uh, you know, her story, like I said, it's different than mine. It's very powerful in what she did. But I meet this woman and... You know, I've literally, I fall in love with, with her and I had prayed for God to give me a family forever. You know, I mean, I wanted, wanted to get married since I've been 28. I wanted a family, but I wasn't going to marry the wrong one just to do it. I was, I wanted, I remember before I met Jeanette, if I'd go out on dates, I'd be like, so what's your retirement plan and how much, what's your 401k? Like I was at that point in my life. Um, so I meet Jeanette and I prayed to God for a family and when we started dating, you know, then I moved in and it started getting serious. I realized God gave me a family, but the problem is I was never around. I was working 60 hours a week at the YMCA full time. It's normal 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And I was at jujitsu all night long. So I prayed to God to give me a family. And when I tell my story, people ask my story about the business side. Here's what I know. I know that those boys at two and four, they have a father, but you know, he gets them every other weekend. They needed to see 
that some men are strong, some men are loyal, some men do what they say they're going to do, and some men some men can be what you want to be in life. And her daughter needed to see the same thing. You know, I, I tell people, when I tell my story, it's, it's funny. As I, like I said, I was given a family, but imagine Christmas time. It's, imagine a beautiful house. You're inside. There's this roaring fire. Inside is your wife and your kids, right? That's your family. But you're outside, and you're wiping off the glass, and you're looking in. Because you're part of that family, but you're not. You're not there, right? You're, you're every dad who works his brains off to provide for that. Now, that's a great dad. You can, that is a phenomenal man or woman, you know, you roles can be reverse, whatever, or it could be a single mom killing herself. But for me, I was the man who was working my brains off and there was my family. I would only be around them at nighttime. I'd be gone before they'd go to school. I, you know, I just wasn't there. Why? I was training so much. I was working so much. And I realized that God gave me a family, but I wasn't a part of it. Um, luckily, and this is truly, truly just what it is. My wife was helping people from home full time with her business. She was helping people with health, with weight loss, with energy, with DNA testing, whatever it is they wanted or needed. But she was doing it from home through the phone, contacting how, how can I help you? What are you doing today? One person at a time. And I realized you know, I was doing the same thing she was, but I was hours for dollars over here. I was at the Y all day, push-ups all day, hours for dollars. And I remember one night we're laying in bed and um, she, she got paid and it was substantial. And she goes, Morgan, I think I'm finally going to get out of debt. She had $300,000 in debt when I met her. And she started crying. And I realized, you know, if she can do it, why can't I? Why can't I do it? She's helping people. I can help people. She's compassionate. She cares. I care. I can do what she did. And I can come home and be a stay-at-home dad. I can be part of this family. I can wake up when they wake up. I can take them to school. I can do all the things that I want to do as a father. And I always say I because I never want anybody to think that what they're doing is not okay. You know, the dad who goes to work all day long, God bless him. God bless him for putting in those hours, providing for the family. Single mom who works two jobs to put a roof over her head but has to put in daycare, God bless her for being amazing. But I saw what my wife did, and I said, you know what? I can do that too. So I don't like to cuss, but I'll make it. I like to cuss to make point. So I got my ass to work. In six months, I made enough money that I was comfortable quitting my job. You mean by by working more by, at the by working gym? the business? Yeah, no, no, the business, the business, the business. My wife and I do um, quit my full time job in six months, and I have been a stay at home dad. My mom's or my wife's been a stay at home mom for eight years now. So, so you both work from home. Both work from home. So my kids are eight, ten, and fourteen. Okay. Um, I have I do Tuesday lunches with my son Beckham, and being part of their lives. At this level, they're going to look back and re- always think it's normal for dad to be at home all the time. And uh, luckily, we were blessed with an opportunity in the business that we do to be able to do that. What is your business? So the company is called ID Life. Um, we're, uh, I'll have to pull it up because I don't know it by heart. Oh, there's my picture in my face. So if you were, to, if you were, if you were interested, you'd go to freed.idlife.com. 
So that's it there. But what we do is we do, we help people with uh, Think Fitness. So you'll come, let's say you come to me, Morgan, I want to feel better. What can I do? Awesome. I'm going to send you a link to take a free health assessment. So you'll take this health assessment that goes to five or 10,000 doctor peer reviews. And it's pretty intensive. It's free, but do you smoke? Do you drink? Are you white? Where are you from? Blah, 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 blah. Are you, do you have diabetes in your family? All this stuff. So you take this test and then it will send you back based on you, Vance. This is what we think you need. Cool. Get it. Don't get it. I don't care. You took the test. You want my help? You know, what do you think of the test? Oh, Morgan, I like it. It says I need more fish oil. Duh, you're an American. You don't eat fish. <laughs> um, so then we talk about it. Then some people can take it further and do a DNA test. So let's say you're like, okay, I really want to know what's going on with my health. I want to do a DNA. So then you'll swab your mouth, mail it in. It sends you a 45-page HIPAA-compliant form, so I can't see it, that will say, based on you exactly and your DNA, you need to do this for weight loss, this for weight gain. Carbs are not your friends. You need more folate. It's super I guess intensive. I was not aware that the Science, DNA, baby. that the, well, so I actually worked at, you know, the largest biotech company right. in the in the in the world for a little while and the well I don't know in the world in in agriculture yeah. certainly and I was unaware that the uh genetic sequencing was at the level that it could it's tell you insane. you should get So my wife is um she did not like her DNA test. <laughs> I mean it said she has slow weight loss and she has to do this for weight training and uh she needed more folite, which is actually pretty common in a lot of people. Um, I'd have to pull it up to look at it. Mine, on the other hand, is like, dude, you're killing it. You've got great genetics. Uh, you have easy weight loss. Like, I love to rub that in her face in a nice way. But what I like about it is everybody's different. You know, I can send, and this is just kind of a fun business thing, but I see these people in the Walmart aisle. And they're just grabbing stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, I want to help them, but I don't know them. Um, they think they need this and they think they need this. And the truth is they may not. Like, I don't know. You're different than me. So I can't put you on a regiment that I take because what I take is different. I'm not as tall as you. I don't, maybe I don't weigh as much as you. Maybe you're whatever, we're different. So because we're different, why not have science come into play where I can say, based on science, this is what you need, not what bro science morgan thinks so how would you differentiate the advice that you guys give from so i had uh the president of the uh associate the academy of nutrition and dietetics mm -hmm. on here and um how do you think about your nutrition relative to like what they're doing over there well what i would have to know exactly what they're doing well, just the there. registered dietitians okay. like so if i if if uh if they hear somebody that's right. not a registered dietitian giving advice. They get advice. all up in arms, don't oh, they? Oh, man, they right. get mad. Well, look how many d diets are out there, right? Here, the, what I've noticed nutrition nutritionists want is more fruit and vegetables. Great. Duh. Who doesn't? Um, three meals a day, two snacks a day, whatever. That that work, Here's the thing. That works for a lot of people. It's great. One shoe does fit all, but not everybody's foot is the same. If they're nutrition, nutritionists... We're pretty much the end all that end all. Well, we'd all be doing it. And some people would say, they, you would never hear somebody say, well, I tried it and didn't lose any weight or I don't feel better. Well, maybe it didn't work. Some people are keto. Some people are not keto. Some people do, they only eat one meal a day. Some people eat two meals a day. Some people do plant-based. Some people do a mix. Some do Atkins. So 
what I would tell a nutritionist is, I love what you do. I think it's great that you're helping people, that's for sure. What I do is very similar, except I'm not going to just put everybody on the same plan. I'm going to let them kind of decide their own plan based on what they think they need, and we're going to figure it out together. So I mean, I, th- I think that they, I, that's interesting. I think that they would say that they put everybody on individual plans, too. They do-ish. I mean, I've never heard a nutritionist say you need to be more keto, less carb, or more carb, less keto, right? So it, it's really hard to say what they're going to do. But then again, I knew on nutritionists, if I'm just a nutritionist, they're just going to ask you a lot of questions, which is great. I'm going to do some DNA testing, and we're going to actually get some DNA results and see what that says. I know a lot of nutritionists who do uh, things like that, but they're still... There's still a one shoe fits all. So how, I think. how is your business going for you? It's you and your wife. And, then, and my is wife. this a larger company or yep. this is you guys? So the company is based out of Texas and we would be considered, um, uh, how, we're, uh, how to even, I would be like, not a spokesperson, but uh, I'm a direct to consumer supplier. So my job really is to meet people, talk to them, see if I can help them. And if they're interested, We'll go from there and see if it's something they want to do. If not, it's, it's okay. It's How okay. long have you guys been doing this? Uh, uh, we've been in the business for about, my wife for about eight years, me for about five, five or six. Wow. So she did it before I met her. Okay. Yep. And is she still, you said she was a, is she a medical doctor? Or you she said has said her doctorate in, doctorate in chiropractic Okay. and her PhD in biomechanical science. Uh, wow. Like I said, she's much smarter than I am. Where did she go to school? I believe Logan. Okay. So... Interesting. Yeah. I'm, my uh, my wife is a doctorate of physical right. therapy, yep. and uh, that is an experience having somebody that knows <laughs> dramatically more. She than She doesn't you make do me call that. her doctor, which is nice. That is my nice. mom's a doctor. My my sister's a doctor. So everybody in my family is doctors. I'm like the black sheep. So when you ended up leaving the the YMCA. personal training, the YMCA, yeah. and you move into this, are you black belt at this point? No, I got. I think I was a. F- at that point, I was probably at least a brown belt. Okay. So, so for people that don't know, white, blue, purple, brown, purple, black, brown right. black. I've been a black belt now for about a year and a half. Oh, okay. So, so relatively recent. Rel- time flies, right. Relatively you, recent in the 15 years I've been doing it. What do you think that, that's right, 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. Wow. Do you think everybody should expect a 15-year journey? Um, the average is 10 to 15. So I actually got my black belt in 13 years. Um, I just say 15 because it's just, you know, you do some no-gi in there and whatever. Right. But everybody's different. Uh, it all depends on um, how much you do it. Like I didn't, I really never got into jujitsu to get a black belt. I got into it to learn how to kick some ass, hundred percent. I wanted to learn how to hurt people so they didn't hurt me first. I mean, it's just uh, it is what it is. Like I, you go back to my world and my brain. Everybody wants to kill you. Everybody's out to hurt you. So I better learn how to hurt them first. Yeah. Everybody's got to have a reason to show right. up to jujitsu. You have to. Right. And it doesn't, you doesn't have to be well formed in your mind. You may get there and be like, I think I'm going to be pulled, yep. but you don't keep coming back unless nope. you've got something you're trying I, to do. I'll, I tell people a lot of times, I don't care if you're motivated. I literally do not care. Great. You're motivated to get in shape. Good for you today. I'm so happy. It's awesome to be motivated. Awesome. But motivation comes and goes. Yeah, it discipline does. is the only thing. Discipline. That's right. There's many a times where I don't want to go train or don't. Dude, my arm is killing me right now. I'm going to tape it up and I'm going to go train because it doesn't matter. Doing it. Do it anyways. That is my 
tip of the world. I, I ran uh, 500 miles this year. Yeah, that's crazy. I, and I'd never done Not anything doing like that. that. <laughs> but I can tell you that there, like most of the time I didn't want to go. Right. But I can't think of a single time when I got done working out that I wasn't glad I did it's, it. It's, you know, running that amount of miles is, it's, that is the definition of just pure willpower. Like there comes a point probably where you're like, dude, I do not, I do not want to run. My knees hurt. My joints hurt. I'm doing it anyways. The hardest mileage for me to run out of the whole thing yeah. was the last 30 miles. Right. Because I was like, I know I can get it. Right. I could go out and get it in three runs if I really right. wanted to. But, you know, what am I going to do once I get past right. that goal? And actually, it's a problem I'm working on thousand, right now, which dude. is... Thousand. Do, you think? Yeah. I don't know. 800. I don't know. I, I how do how do you go about choosing goals? Like you work with a lot of people, and how do they do? They come to you with goals. They do. They do. They, know they, what do. they want. Um, a lot of people. First, it's all about baby steps. I think, and I think this is probably a saying: long term goals, short term. Um, what is it? Long term goals, short term kind of gains. Meaning, we want we're going to set a big goal for sure. I love setting big goals, but let's have little bitty steps along the way. You want to lose a hundred pounds? Awesome. Let's start with 10. I'm going to celebrate your brains off when you use 10. I'm a big believer in celebrating people. Celebrate them. Shout them out. Tell them how proud you are. That will motivate people, which is great, but it also lets them know that you're with them. So somebody comes to me with a goal. We're going to find out what that goal is, and then we're going to see, one, is it realistic? And two, I'm going to be honest how long it's going to take. You know, if you're, if you're 300 pounds and you tell me you want to do a body, but you want to be 150 in a year, I'm looking to say it's, that's not really realistic. I mean, is it possible? For sure. But why don't we just start with, you know, 50? Let's start there. Let's see how you feel. Um, but we're going to set a big goal, and then we're going to slowly see where we go. And then it's just day by day. Kind of like an alcoholic, you know. Every day you quit drinking, is a, it's a hard day. You've got to – every day is a new day, right? Same thing with anything you do in your life. Let's say, let's say you have a business, and – there's just one day where you something happens, it struggles, you don't get it done. Cool. Monday is a new day. I tell people Monday is the best day of the week because that's a day to start over. Don't look at Monday as the worst day. Monday is the best day. You know what days I hate? Sunday. I don't want I don't need a Sunday in my life. I could go Monday through Friday, start right back over on Monday. The only I mean I like Saturdays, I will admit, but Sunday, there's no such thing as a rest day. No such thing in anything you do. Don't rest. Go. Go so what farther, are you doing on a Sunday when you say no rest? Are you getting uh, you're blowing a whistle in your kid's bedroom? Being yeah. like, get up, we're going. No, no, I'm I'm pretty chill. Um, I mean, we get up, we go to church, or we listen to whatever church on TV. I go to the gym, I work out, go hang out, hang with my family. Um, but I still work, I still do something. You know, yeah. It's, uh, I definitely don't feel better if I take a Sunday and I'm just like I'm gonna lay around. I don't all like day. it. No, no days off, good. man. I don't believe in days off. What are you reading these days? Um. I am reading, I just recently reread uh, The Love Languages, which is my favorite book to read because when you have a wife and a family, it's good to know your kids' love languages. But kids' love languages change as they get older. You know, when my kids were two, four, and eight, you know what their love language was? Gifts, gifts, gifts. Now, it's different. Now, my, my I would say my youngest is quality time. My middle one is probably quality time, physical touch. And then my daughter is, 
I would say she's probably words of affirmation. Man, when you right? said I, I read uh, love languages, I was like, you're love full of shit. Love but it. You're love right. It. I can see how it would apply. My wife recommended me that book when I met her. She, read this book. She is acts of service. So I always try to do laundry. I always do all the chores around the house as much as I can. That's how she knows I love her. Cool. Do it. You want me to do dishes? No, she doesn't let me do the ditches, dish, dishes. I'm kind of a mess, but I do the laundry. I try Anything to do you can do at full speed. Yeah, you, you, right. You're right. doing the shoveling. And um, the- so, yeah. Yeah. Acts of service. I am um, I'm probably quality time and words of affirmation. So I know my love languages. Um, and then I just read. Are you a little concerned that if you were really good at love languages that you could manipulate people? I'm sure you could if you wanted. I'm sure you could ma- manipulate people anytime you really wanted to. I mean, that's something that's that's just people in general. I mean, like cause I think about that a lot because I give yeah. I, I I have these things on Fridays sometimes where I talk about communicating with people, right? right? Like how to do it better. Right. And um, I'm I'm always a little bit leery because what I'm really trying to do is to lower the barriers that people have to right. say I can't do it. Right. So that they can, right? So but you could take that to an extreme. Are you using it for good or evil? There's your answer. If you're using it for good, it's 100% okay. If you're using it for evil, well, it's not the best, right? Do you have a definition of evil? Um, I don't necessarily have a definition for evil. Um, I heard one that was really good. What was good. it? What was yours? The one that I heard was uh, the creation of suffering where it's not needed. You know, or yeah. the addition of suffering. Yeah. So I, I, I heard Jordan Peterson, this uh, right. clinical like psychologist, him. talking about it, and I'm sure I think it was. He's good. It came from the Gulag Archipelago, uh, that book about Soviet Russia, right. where the people were living in these prison camps, and I think that that makes a a ton of sense. It like does. it's real evil when there's somebody suffering and you go to put more to, on them right. somehow. I have a belief that words are more powerful than anything else in the world. So I hate that saying, sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. I think that's 100% opposite. I think words have more power and can do more damage than anything else. Well, that's all we are, thoughts and ideas. So if, I mean, you can monkey around, if you can get in there and climb around and hammer somebody. Saying hurtful things to people can last a lifetime, a broken arm can heal. But you, know? you do need to teach kids like, yeah. hey, you know, he called you a dummy. Like right. you got to get over well, that because you can't right. do anything about it. Right. There's a there's a difference. Do you think sure, because but... you are uh, like affirmations that uh, people can hurt you? Because if you're open to being. Oh, for sure. Told, like, you know, I appreciate that about you. Um, I'm pretty thick skinned, which is nice, but I still have feelings. You know, I'm still human. Um, I don't like I don't want people to think of me in a negative way. Like I, I remember. You know, there's been times in my life where I've heard negative things about me and you immediately want to confront it and it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But if you know your own self-worth, you can kind of say, you know what? It is what it is, man. Not everybody's going to like me anyways. And I'm not here to please everybody either. I, I have one duty, a couple duties, but it goes family, right? My religion, my work, and then everything else, friendship, jujitsu, all that stuff is down the line. Your temperament, your demeanor is completely opposite of the way you look, 
right? right. Like, <laughs> I mean, like you I have a mohawk a and you're, you know, you're, you're as imposing I'm as a classically a trained piano player who can play violin and saxophone. Right. <laughs> my first dates with my wife, I took her to, uh, I was playing piano at a YMCA for little kids doing a dance. And then the second date, I took her to a funeral. So you get what you get, but yeah. Wait, you really are classically? Yeah, I can rock out, man. If you had a piano here, I could play for you. No kidding. Yeah, it's funny. Dude, I think you're is. just like a big, soft nerd wrapped right. in like a killer's body. <laughs> right. I, I, like, I, I don't okay know if this that. is like hopeful for everyone <laughs> else or if it's like Morgan is the craziest riddle I've ever met. You know, it's, um, I'm, um, <laughs> it's a good, it's, it's really... Like you're vulnerable, right? And you you are reading books about love languages. Oh, dude, yeah. You work with kids. You wear a fanny pack, but you could will whip totally will totally punch you and choke you to death. Like I'm also okay with that. Teaches right? the dirty tricks right. in jujitsu. Like I'll hug you, or I could probably kill you. And is this it is, what is, it is. this uh, who you've always been? Um, you have flames on your arm, so you wanted people to have know, some. Yeah, I uh, like I said. The brick is where everything changed for me. So I didn't even get, I got this after, after the brick. I've got one on my leg and a big giant one on my back. Um, it's a hard question to answer because I don't know who I've always been. I can't remember the old oh, me. I can't remember the un- the 2002 before me. Like, I can't even, like, if you if you remember your childhood, I can't remember, like, what mine was like much. I mean, I remember things, but I don't remember who that person was, like, was... Was Morgan silly or was Morgan this? I can see me doing things like having activities, but I don't remember my, um, what, what was he? I don't remember. Was he friendly dude? Was he not a friendly dude? All I know is the 2002 me, which is, is like a, so it's could be, I could be honestly two different people, but the 2002 is version 2.0. I guess, in a sense. I mean, that one. So I mean, he was baptized by a rock, right? Yeah. And then, yep. And then everything in your yep. life everything seemed changed. Change. Everything changed. Yeah. And it wasn't even until I met my wife and moved in with her that I was willing to even do any of that. So I had buried it all. When I met my wife, she's. I remember she said, "You know, you fight in your sleep. You have all this stuff going on. Is there anything that happened in your life?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. I got hit in the head with a brick once." And she's like, "That's a big deal." I'm like. Oh, she didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't. I, I never talked about it. That wasn't like a chapter that was like, it's oh, this is an important one. Only recently in the last. Did she feel pretty pissed off that you had? She told was her actually that? upset. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> she said I got married and you didn't tell me that. I'm like, I didn't think it was a big deal. Oh man. Um, so I probably had a. But you literally, you're like Don Draper. I yeah. mean, like in a way. Did in you ever way. watch Madden? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what he did. He had yep. one identity, put it to sleep. Yeah. Has a new one. Yeah. And she married John she married Draper. That one. Yeah. So I think. You know, it's, it's, she had brought that up and I, one, I never noticed because you get so used to it. So I get lost. I have to have a GPS in my car, a GPS in my phone. Um, I have to write out directions. I'll get lost all the time. I could never, like right now, I have no idea where we're at. If you took my phone, I could not find my way home. I don't, I, east, west, north, south, zero idea right now. It just will not work in my brain. Oh, wow. Um, so. Man, to be unmoored from a compass or from yeah. the ability to have direction would be really disorienting. Yeah, I get lost all the time. I've lost my car before um, in Walmart. Like, I'm assuming everybody does in Walmart parking lots, but I've literally not been able to find it. Like, I've had to have people drive me around. That happens frequently. Um, so there's stuff like that. Um, headaches. I have really bad headaches a lot. 
there are other stuff, but yeah, when I met my wife, I was, I kind of buried it all or just dealt with it. So you, they call it coping mechanism. So coping mechanism is phone, GPS, two GPS things in my car, a baton, a knife, flare gun, regular gun, all these coping mechanisms. Dude, I'm glad you're talking to, to deal people. Deal with geez. what could go wrong. Okay, I can't get lost. Got my gun. Got this. I've got that. I've got flares. I could get, you know, this could happen in the wood. I'm ready. Coping, what do they do? They let me drive a little safer and feel a little better. Cool, we're going to jujitsu. Another coping, coping mechanism. You can't hurt me anymore because I know how to hurt you first. Do coping you, mechanism. Do you, uh, like, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not making light of it. I just, mm-hmm. I've never, you seem like the person that if you're triggered the wrong way, you're the road rage guy that, uh, if you're oriented right. the wrong way. I don't mean triggered. I mean, like, if you're oriented right, right. towards rage, rage and anger and, you know, a guy like you, well prepared, right? Is is it? Is... I would say we're probably people like me are probably in that statistic for sure. So, how do we deal with it? Therapy, jujitsu, having a family support network. Um, the VA has been wonderful for me. Um, picking your partner in life smartly. So for me, waiting 35 years to get married to find the woman I knew was my, honestly, my soulmate. I got married All late. those things yeah. combined into this. So I, I'd like to think, you know, it's very prudent planning and God keeping, you know, keeping his eye on me. I was raised Jewish. I tell people I was, a, were chosen for a reason. Oh, you were, I'm you Jewish. were Jewish over there too? Yep, Jewish. Over in East my St. Father, Louis. My father's Jewish. I'm Jewish. Um, never believed in anything till, you know, I met my wife. I remember I had, I was searching for something. I'd happen to have the Bible on CD in my car. There's lots of weird connections. Um, she had made a list. She was looking for a man too. Like she wanted a life to share and she made a list. Her friend called her and said, why don't you write down and tell God or whoever they want to call it, write down what you're looking for. And she writes this list and literally it's hundred percent me plays music, wants a family, da-da-da-da-da-da. It's, it's actually really, there's a lot of weird connections we have with that. We met, I mean, I'm in her timeline before she even met me where I was working at the wine. She's, it's like, she's like, there's this dude walking around spraying air spray in the air while she was pregnant. Like, so there's all these weird coincidences that really are not coincidences. It's, it's fate, dude. That's, I believe in that. Fate, destiny, path, you know, walking it, seeing it. So how do you, if you think that everything is predestined, if yeah. there's fate, then the, what is the suffering fit in? Right. Because it's like you, you're, you it's going to happen it's, if it's, it's inevitable. It's, um, people, there's a lot of different answers you can give. My wife would say, we're not meant to suffer and that's the devil and he does it. And that's, that's, you can totally believe that. I think, you know, why is there suffering? Well, if you look at it like this, like one, if we're going to talk religion is, and I'm no expert, like I'm brand new. I'm maybe on four years on my path. Um, I think things, it's just, things just happen. And, you know, God wants what's best for us, but he also gave us free will and we're going to make decisions and some people are going to do bad things. And it is, you know, that's why you got to, you got to train and be prepared because it's going to happen. Um, and I think that that part of suffering that you're talking about yeah. in, in training is yeah. suffering in order to get somewhere else. So somewhere it's the else. suffering can't 
all be bad, right? If right. you can find a way to make it meaningful. Yeah. Well, Morgan, I oh. had no idea what we were going to talk about, but Coach was right. You were an excellent choice. Well, thank you. Thank I'd you like for to think I'm interesting, at least. This, it's this at least fun. This was a blast, and I look yep. forward to rolling cool. with you. Thank you so probably much. Probably on Saturday, if you're going to be around. We're headed to New York. So my wife's oh. parents live in New York. We go twice a year. Um, we go to Buffalo. I go train up there. There's a gym up there I train with. And uh, they're good, good, good. See, I don't ever stop training. So we go there for 10 days in the winter, and then we go there for about a month in the summer. Well, let's so, find cool. a time in the beginning of the year. So. I'm down, man. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you I so much for it. coming. Cool.